Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today at St. Paul's, and uh, a warm welcome to those of you joining us online. Now, I was born and brought up in the UK and have dual citizenship with Canada. And when Tim and I were first married, uh, we lived in the UK for a number of years. And thinking myself pretty clever, I would fly to Canada on my Canadian passport and then back to the UK on uh, my British one, you know, getting the shorter line at immigration each time. Until one flight, we landed in Toronto and realized that my passport had expired. And I got pulled, you know, into one of those special immigration booths to be questioned by an immigration official, officials who actually have a huge amount of discretionary power, right? So to assess whether I was a legit citizen of Canada, he asked a few questions, right? Where I lived, where I worked, the usual, and then the clincher. I can't remember the exact words, but I do remember his rather piercing gaze. So, if you walked into a Tim Hortons, what would you order? <laughs> Sensing the importance of this moment, through my tiredness, I never sleep on flights, I cautiously replied, a double-double? Welcome to Canada, came the reply. Get your passport renewed. We're in the last two weeks of our teaching series, Joy in Everything, looking at that letter that Paul, an early Christian writer, wrote to a small Christian community, would have been smaller than St. Paul's, in the Greek city of Philippi. And we're trying to see what relevance it has uh, for us. And we've seen how joy and happiness are not the same thing. Uh, we've seen how humility decreases conflict in our lives. And last week, Ben helped us see how joy is not something we need to earn, uh, but it's given to us as a gift. And so building on that, today, we will see how people learning how to follow Jesus are citizens, citizens of heaven. And we'll look at both what are the privileges of that citizenship and what are the responsibilities for us as servants on earth. So whether you're spiritually searching, maybe you're already a disciple, citizens of heaven, servants on earth. So if you want to keep uh, that passage from Philippians open in your pew Bible, it's page 198 at the back, Philippians 3, or on your Bible app. Citizens of heaven, what does this mean and what are its privileges? Well, Paul writes this in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever visited another country, you know how fascinating it can be, right? A different language, food, culture. And while it can be amazing to immerse yourself in another culture, you're always aware that you're not actually living there, right? You're just visiting. And with most trips away from home, even wonderful vacations, we're usually really happy to come home and, and sleep in our own beds. However many passports you may hold, Paul boldly asserts that if you're a Christian, someone learning how to follow Jesus, then your true citizenship, it's in heaven. Our primary citizenship is not here on earth. We're just travelers on a journey. Of course, we live on earth now. We're all rooted in downtown Toronto. But we're no longer from here, 
right? Or Hong Kong, or New York, or Delhi, for that matter. We're just passing through. We're on our way home. Our forever home, our true home, it's not here. It's heaven. Let's just take a quick moment, especially uh, for any of you who've, who've got questions, to remember how the Bible understands heaven. Because it's not some version of the good place, right? That popular TV series where people are assigned a numerical score based on the morality of their conduct in life, and only those with the very highest scores are sent to the good place. It's actually terrifying. I wouldn't make the cut. Where they then enjoy eternal happiness with their every wish granted, also frankly terrifying, guided by an artificial intelligence named Janet. Terrifying, right? Everyone else experiences an eternity of torture in the bad place. No. The vision of heaven that the Bible holds out for us is far more wonderful. Heaven is a state of existence after we die, having accepted the free gift of God's mercy and love in this life, and that gift then reaches full bloom in the next life, where we will be fully in God's presence in the new heaven and the new earth that God will unfold. It'll be amazing. Heaven is our forever home. It's where we will become fully who we're meant to be. Illness is healed, our beautiful creation restored, and our deep desires no longer met by the fleeting substitutes that money buys us. C.S. Lewis, the great academic, wrote this famous passage. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men, excuse the time-bound language, men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. We were made for another world. We're sojourners. We're on our way home, says St. Paul. Citizens of heaven. So what are some of the privileges of that citizenship? There's, there's a lot, uh, but Paul gives us just a few in our passage today from Philippians. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 3, he writes that our names are written in the book of life. And that's, it's a wonderfully evocative image of the assurance of our eternal destiny, that we don't need to be concerned about what waits for us beyond the grave. There is still a 100% mortality rate in downtown Toronto. And knowing that there is another life waiting for us, it's not called the book of judgment. It's not called the book of boredom or the book of irrelevance. It's called the book of life. Knowing there's another life waiting for us can help put at least some kind of boundary around any suffering that we might be going through. You know, whether it's the trauma of a, of a Turkish Syrian earthquake or the trauma of an abusive relationship, 
or the momentary affliction of, of losing a friend or not getting the promotion. There's no suffering-free life, right? And the prisoner Paul knows this firsthand. But an eternal perspective as a citizen of heaven? Wow, that's a lens of practical hope in the trenches of real, messy, complicated life. And it reminds those of us with children to have their spiritual nurture as our number one priority when making decisions. The Christian faith is always one generation away from extinction, and parents, Tim and I included, have the great privilege and responsibility to nurture the gift of faith in Jesus in our children, showing them how to receive the gift of heavenly citizenship. Now, Paul contrasts citizens of heaven, in this case, uh, the Jesus followers in Philippi, with other people who he describes with some intense language. So buckle up. So chapter 3, 18 to 19, this is Paul. For many live as enemies at the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. I think we're actually meant to find those verses hopeful. Because it means we do not need to be entirely at the mercy of our physical urges. Many of which are good and holy, right? They're given to us by God. But these urges, these desires get twisted by sin. And they can become painfully destructive. And knowing that there is a way where you can live your life that embraces the mercy and forgiveness found in Jesus. A life not driven by our finances. And you can be driven by finances whether you got a lot of money or a little. A life where our careers are a way to use our God-given talents, not a way to shore up our self-image. Right? Paul so desperately wants that for the Philippian Christians. He's writing this. Remember, he's chained to a Roman guard, right? Probably both wrists. And he's got tears streaming down his face. I want that for you. Here at St. Paul's, citizens of heaven with the privilege of an eternal perspective. Citizens of heaven, servants on earth. It all may sound nice in theory, uh, but I think most of us are more interested right now in living, right, rather than what happens to us when we die. Like, how do we squeeze the most juice out of the lemon of life, Jenny? That's what I think most of us want to know. But the eternal perspective we can have as a citizen of heaven significantly shapes how we live our lives now as servants on earth. You may have heard the critique of Christians that they're so heavenly-minded they are no earthly good. And while Christian faith has, of course, been twisted to justify horrific things, Jesus' followers have also poured themselves out to found schools and hospitals down the centuries. Martin Luther King III spoke in Toronto on Friday about the work of the Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery, Alabama, working to legally protect the most vulnerable. Paul gets super practical about how we are to live now, the responsibilities of being servants on earth. And he does this first by dealing with a conflict 
that seems to have arisen between two prominent women in the Philippian church. I urge Judea and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Imagine being called out by your pastor on a Sunday morning and that being on YouTube. It's okay, I won't do it. This letter would have been read out loud to the entire congregation, right? Only one copy, not everyone could read. And while we don't know what the disagreement was about, it seems that people were beginning to take sides and now division was rearing its ugly head. And notice that these women are called co-workers with Paul. These are women of leadership ability and skill, but they've somehow gotten off track and Paul tells them to agree in the Lord. There are going to be non-essential things that we disagree on here at St. Paul's. And of course, you know the same stuff's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen with your friends. But Paul is urging unity in the essentials, right? In the goal and purpose of our lives in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that eternal perspective that can give us both confidence. God loves me. I'm a citizen of heaven. But it also gives us humility. God died for me because I'm a sinful citizen of heaven. It can give us that confidence and humility to work through disagreements and conflict in healthy ways, right? Being a servant of other people, asking ourselves each day, how can I put my friend's needs above my own? How could I serve my spouse uh, today? And uh, if you've got kids, how can I, it's a lot of work, but how can I point my children to Jesus today? It's all so implementable. Paul continues, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's hard. Notice Paul doesn't say rejoice, always rejoice. He writes rejoice in the Lord always. And it's been noted by scholars that in all of Paul's writings, he never asks God to take him out of his current circumstances. Beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, he's going to be martyred in Rome. What Paul consistently prays for is that God would be with him in the midst of the trials, right? Paul's not telling the Philippians to rejoice in the suffering per se. Paul is not some detached masochist, but he's giving us some hope that we can still find joy and comfort in God's presence now and the hope of a future where the relationships are healed. So are our bodies. Rejoicing in the Lord can also be a way to serve others in our lives, right? Encouraging your friends or your family to invite God's presence into a painful situation uh, they're maybe going through or bringing our gentleness as people learning how to follow Jesus, bringing that gentleness into our workplace, um, which can show a, a patient a strength to our coworkers. Uh, being known as people of prayer, Right? Offering to pray for those same work colleagues when their life is hard and then actually remembering to pray for them. This is how citizens of heaven serve on earth as servants. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The confidence of being able to come to God in prayer as a citizen of heaven is what has fueled countless Christians 
like Martin Luther King III, to be servants on earth, working for justice. As I end, it's probably stretching the image too far, but uh, here goes. When we come to the time of uh, confession that Tyler's going to lead, see it as a way of renewing your spiritual passport. As a disciple, if you're going to come to the Lord's table today, take that bread and wine as stamps in that heavenly passport, assurance of your eternal destiny, and spiritual fuel to be a servant of others now. Are you searching this morning? The only citizenship test for this heavenly country is an awareness that you actually need to live here. That it's the true life that this life is haltingly pointing us to. A life that Jesus leads us towards. Repent. Receive. Today. Where you're seated, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that Jesus shows us the way home, that Jesus is our home. Through repentance, open our hearts to receive this promise and hope, strengthening us to be servants now. Amen.